Let me pray, and then I'll preach to you. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word now. As always, uh, we stand at the ready to hear from you, the things that you want for us, and, uh, and the things that that might require from us. Lead us, God, to change. Challenge us with the things that uh, this book tells us about you. Uh, uh, rearrange our, our minds. Re- renew us in our thinking, God. I pray this morning and help us to leave here uh, ready to become who you want us to be. As always, get me out of the way, and I uh, pray this, God, in your name. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. I, uh, I got my wife a puzzle for Christmas. This is not it, uh, but it's one like it. Uh, anybody wonder why I got my wife a puzzle for Christmas? Anybody care? It's going to help the sermon move along if you do. I, uh, I got the last, uh, well, last Saturday night, which was Christmas Eve, having finished all of our services, which were awesome. Thanks for everybody that was a part of those. Uh, but... Uh, realized that I didn't have anything of substance for my wife under the tree. Christmas has gotten that way for us as our kids have gotten older. It's not as, um, it sneaks up on us. And so uh, I wanted to get Eleanor something that would be meaningful. And so I went to Kmart after, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how bad it was this year. I uh, went to Kmart and I, I, I looked for all the things that were possible there. That's, by the way, going to show up in lots of sermons this year. My night at Kmart on Christmas Eve. Many things to share with that. But uh, Suffice it to say, I didn't, I didn't find a lot that I, I thought would be a suitable gift for my bride, and so I bought her a, a puzzle, and, and my, my intent was to give her a puzzle with a picture of Europe, because our dream is to go to Europe and hang out in Europe and, and go see Europe. So I, I wanted to give her something that would say, hey, remember that I intend for us to go to Europe. I know, ladies, it's completely lame. It's the best I could do at 8.30 on Christmas Eve. All right. Um, but you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Christmases with my mom. Every year, some member of our extended family would send my mother a puzzle, and she would open this puzzle every Christmas day, and the same thing would happen. She'd go to the uh, garage, get the card table out, and she would start doing this puzzle, okay? Now, some of you have grown up with cable and the internet, so let me familiarize you with these things called puzzles. This is what we did for entertainment before there was all of these screens. And so, uh, how do you do a puzzle? Anybody know how to do a puzzle? What do you start with? You got to do the outside. Oh, thank you very much. Obviously, you start with the outside edges because they got the flat parts on them and they're easier uh, to discern. And so you build the outside and then you kind of fill in the inside, uh, looking for similarities and colors and shapes and all that stuff. My mom is a whiz at these things. We actually would, uh, you know, kind of have it out there for display once she got it done, and maybe even hang it on the wall. I don't know if we ever did that. I saw them in some people's houses though. Have you ever seen people hang up puzzles in their house? That's a pretty proud, proud puzzle solver. But uh, I, I would help my mom. Eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, I would, you know, I, I like a puzzle. I, I'd do crosswords and Sudoku and all those things. I love that kind of stuff. Keeps you sharp. And uh, so I would go and try to help my mom for a while. Because remember, this is Christmas Day. I got a lot of crud under the tree for myself. And so I would try to help out or, you know, do as much as I could. But then I'd remember, oh, yeah, Batmobile. I got the Batmobile. I've got to go play with the Batmobile. And so I'd run downstairs and play with the Batmobile. Uh, other things, though, were distractions. Uh, friends would come over, uh, and, and so I'd, I'd, I'd be a part of it for a while and, and then go and, and come back and go and come back. And then, but sometimes, listen, uh, as I got older and I got fewer toys under the tree, it was all closed, and once you try them on, you're pretty much done playing with them. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I would try to concert myself in my efforts on this puzzle, uh, but I wouldn't last long either in, in those regards because I'd get so frustrated. A thousand-piece puzzle? 
these little itty bitty edges and, and, and they looked, oh, that's gonna totally fit and he tried to jam it in there. Was, who was, anybody here a jammer? Didn't matter if it was right, it was going in, right? Yeah, well, she'd get mad at me because it would mess up the rest of the puzzle and so I'd keep trying to find pieces and eventually I'd just get so frustrated I would leave. I would always want to be there though uh, when it was finally done. Like she'd kind of yell, last piece! You know, it was Christmas Day or in, when we grew up in Canada, it was Boxing Day. Uh, we'd have that one off too. And uh, so she'd, she'd finish it on Christmas or the next day and she'd yell, yell, last piece. And it was a signal for everybody to come. It was kind of like that ah, moment, you know, everybody's going to gather around and laud her for her puzzle solving skills. And so she was about to put that last piece in. I wanted to be there when it was finished so I could get some props for my part. I put those four pieces in right there, right? I uh, was thinking that as uh, I was getting ready to preach this morning. I thought, isn't that the Christian life? It's kind of like putting together a puzzle. Uh, we have the cover, the box, it's the Bible, it's the Word. Uh, we, we have the person of Christ and his qualities and what he taught us. We, we know what we're supposed to become, how this is supposed to work out, <laughs> but the process that we're all in is, has different stages, different phases. Uh, hopefully, if, if you've kind of been around the Christian story for a while, you got the edges. I'm going to try to set some of those for you this morning as we go into First Peter a little bit more. Uh, but, the, but the middle part... The day-to-day, year-to-year, as we start another one of those, uh, that's the stuff that we're all figuring out. It's called sanctification. That's the big theological term. Uh, We're basically in the process, once we've experienced our salvation, of becoming more like the one that we've had save us. That's Jesus, and that's called sanctification. And then eventually, uh, we're going to join him uh, in our glorification someday. That's kind of the three phases of our Christian life. And the sanctification phase is like that puzzle. Here's how it's like that puzzle. A lot of times, if you're like me, you get distracted from it. All kinds of Batmobiles to play with here on this earth that we live on, right? All kinds of things to pull us away from the Christ life. Um, Maybe you've been distracted and you're here this morning as step one of this New Year's resolution. I mean, you're not even waiting until next week, you know? You stayed up late, but you're here because this needs to change and I want to uh, know Jesus in a deeper and more meaningful way. Good on you. God bless you. Uh, but if it's been a while since you've been around, it's understandable. Uh, lots of things in this world distract us from completing what uh, God has started in us. Uh, but for me, a lot of times, if I kind of take a pause in my Christ-likeness development, it's because I get frustrated. I, I can't make the pieces fix. Uh, they, they don't go together like I want them to. Anybody, am I alone in that? Maybe you are uh, uh, akin or, or understand what I'm talking about with that. I get tired of, of wrestling with the same sins. I get tired of, of having some of the same doubts. I, I, I get frustrated, and, uh, and it can kind of set me back in my process. Well, here, here's my hope uh, for us all collectively as individual puzzles uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit putting together this Christ life that we are living. May God grant us his grace to keep from being distracted this year. And may God give us his peace when we get frustrated in the process this year. Uh, May we move forward in becoming more like Jesus and less like us. That's the whole point of the sanctification process. The puzzle made me think one other thing, though, and I'll kind of spring from that into the text. Uh, It made me think of a church. Like, we're all individual puzzles, but we come together in this grander puzzle that is this church. We've been around for about 23 years, four years, three years, and uh, and God's done so much for this place. If you're kind of new to us, uh, humble beginnings, started as a church plant, 
And God's brought us to where we are, and we're, we're blessed, man. We're thousand, a thousand plus people at our most recent count uh, have, have come to know Jesus Christ through the ministries of this church over those 20 plus years. Uh, that's just the ones we know of. I pray there's more, right? Uh, uh, too many people to count, or we didn't bother trying, I guess. Uh, people have been discipled around here. Uh, they've come and they've gone. They've been influenced. I, I get emails from folks who are part of our church and have moved on, and, 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 and they, they long to be a part of us again because of the things God did with them there. It's not because we're great. It's because he's great. But, uh, but we're blessed to have many great things happen uh, here at our church in the past, and I trust in our future. Uh, but we're going to have uh, times where we get distracted uh, as a leadership or, or we try things that don't necessarily work what we thought. We're going to get uh, potentially frustrated in those things. Uh, Twelve years into my run here, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm praying anew for a, a fresh wind and a fresh fire, a fresh vision for what God has for us next. I don't want to just come in here and cross the box off and do Sundays. Uh, if we ever get to that point, uh, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of that. If you want to be a part of a church that just kind of uh, traditionally meets, uh, and doesn't have a vision or a point or a, or a plan or, or a puzzle to solve. Uh, maybe there's another place like that around here, but I pray that we're never that. Uh, my prayer is that God would lead us into us becoming all that he hopes us to be as a church. And so as we start that, I'm going to do a series that kind of uh, brings greater light on that over these next few weeks that we're calling Why We. It's about why we do what we do. Um, but I want to kind of start today in this shorter sermon, it's going to be shorter. We got kids in here? You're welcome. Anyway, uh, uh, this shorter look at just some verses that uh, Peter wrote down to his, his friends in the early church uh, about who they are as a church and, and what they need to be doing on their mission. So let me, let me just answer that first question. Why are we a church? Why is any church a church? Well, we're a church uh, because the clock is ticking. Uh, time is coming down on this earth. Look at what, what Peter says here in the latter part of his uh, writings I hear in his first epistle, he says, the end of all things is at hand, full stop. Kind of a semicolon in your verses there, but uh, he, he just makes this, this statement from which everything else that he's gonna say is gonna proceed from, and it's kind of the impetus for everything else that he's gonna command. He says, listen, man, the clock's ticking. The end of all things is near. Pete's like the guy in the cartoons who's walking on the street, you know, uh, the end is coming, you know prepare for the end, you know, the world's, whatever. Um, you might see him as such, but he, he's not gloom and doom. He's just telling the truth that, that, that this world is not going to last forever. You and I are not going to last forever. Happy New Year. How's it going, right? Yeah, but it's true. Clock's ticking. We all have this invisible countdown over the top of our heads. Some of ours are shorter than others. It's probably good that we don't see them all, Right? But everybody, everybody's, we're, there's an urgency, Peter says, to the mission that God has given the church. Why are we a church? Because we, we, there's not all the time in the world to make a difference in the world. And we've got to be about that with an urgency to honor God with what he's given us. When I was a younger father, Eleanor and I would uh, uh, go visit friends and our kids would go and play with their kids. And uh, we figured out early in the, in the process that things could potentially go better if we gave our kids a five-minute warning. Did any parent ever do this with your kids? We're leaving in five minutes. I'd like you to find the shoe that you always take off when we come over here. I don't know why you just take off one shoe, but I want you to find the shoe that you take off every time you come here. I want you to, get your, I want you to put all the toys away because we're not going to be the family that comes up and messes the house up 
and, and leaves with the toys out. So, so those are the kinds of things that we do in the five-minute warning. Uh, usually the five-minute warning, warning was longer than five minutes, just so we're clear. Adults have a way of continuing their fun, uh, even as the kids are supposed to be cleaning up theirs. But uh, uh, invariably what would happen is that we'd go up and we'd catch the kids, and they hadn't taken seriously the five-minute warning. None of the things that we would hope had they, they would have accomplished had been accomplished. Why? Because they just blew off the warning. And here's what happens, or what happened with us. When the five-minute warning wasn't taken place, or wasn't taken seriously, um, uh, there was a harsher leaving of that home than if they had taken the, the warning uh, you know, seriously. Are you with me? And, you know, we'd never made a scene, but uh, uh, it would be a, sh- a starker transition. Uh, if they had just figured out, I got five minutes, I gotta, I gotta change what I'm doing and do something different because the time is limited, things could have been better. I wonder if that's how it's gonna be at the end for us. And some of you are like, no, Mark, we're the chosen. We're the ones who are gonna be saved from the calamities of whatever. And, and, and No, I think that's true uh, overall. But don't, don't forget, the, here, here's what we believe. The world's gonna end badly. So are you surprised by that? Did you know that? The Bible teaches that when, uh, when Jesus comes back, it, it's, it's not gonna be you know, uh, f- for everyone, for the chosen, depending on your eschatology. Uh, you either think you're gonna live through some of the trials that are associated with the end, or you're gonna be raptured from them. We kinda hold to that more than anything. That's what I hope happens, I hope we get out of here. Uh, but, uh, but whatever the case is, the end of the world, not fun. Not a good time. Because there's these two natures of God. He's, he's gracious and loving, and merciful, isn't that great? But then he's just and righteous and holy. And he's not crazy about the state of things in our world. And, and so I wonder, like it says in many other teachings of the scripture, I wonder if he's gonna come back and we're gonna be like, oh man, I, I should have, I could have, I would have, had I only known that the clock was ticking. See, the Christ life is meant to be lived with a a level of urgency, not stress, not angst, but a seriousness. That's what Peter calls his readers to, and that's what he's calling us to. That's what I'm calling us to. If we haven't taken seriously our faith, if we've been distracted or frustrated, may God grant us this perspective that it's not about living for today, it's about living for the day. It's about living like he is coming back, and that the things that I do and, and the actions I choose and the thoughts that I think, they matter. Because they're gonna impact what happens to me and those around me upon his return. You know, I, uh, this might be a good time as long as we're talking about the end. I, I, don't, I don't think the world's getting better. Has anybody, have anybody heard, heard me preach this? Like a lot of people think, ah, oh, Jesus will come back. But listen, isn't it great that we live in the age that we do? And there are so many, so many great things. Anybody with me? Who's grateful that you got the driver today and didn't have to walk? And, yeah, okay, there's a clapper, okay. There's lots of great things about living in this era. But can we all agree that with every advancement that humanity makes, we figure out a way to taint that thing pretty quick? Like the internet, you got the encyclopedia on your phone. It used to be a section of books in your parents' bookcase. Or at the library if you didn't have one of those, right? But now you can go, Siri, you know, when did George Washington, whatever, you can ask anything. And it'll give you 10 articles off the internet that you can read, and, and if you believe what's on the internet, you know, that. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. You could, you, your phone goes with you now. You can call people right now. Some of you might even be doing that. 
So he found out, sorry. Anyway, um, but, it, there's ama- but all of those advancements, the internet, the internet is the most vile creation in humanity. I mean, you used to have to work to be addicted to porn, now you need a phone. You used to, you used to have to go and rally people to start a riot, now you just have to post something on Facebook. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's vile. I'm not saying you get rid of it, but let's call us a spade a shovel. It's, uh, it's, it's not a good thing, entirely, because sin perverts good things, and sin makes all the advancements that mankind has, uh, it, it just, we get more sophisticated in our evil. My point is, the world's not getting better. Uh, everything's kind of happening the way the scriptures predicted. It's, it's, we're moving towards uh, a predicted and prophesied end. My question is, and Peter's admonition is, is like, hey man, because the clock is ticking, because time is short, live differently. We've, got, we've been given our five minute warning. It should change how we live. Here's how he wants us to live. Well, before I get to that, uh, let's just make sure we understand our mission and things that we're supposed to live in uh, as we live differently. We exist, everybody read this with me, ready? We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. This is our mission. It's been the mission of every church uh, you can word it differently, but that's basically it. Uh, take people who have found faith in Jesus Christ, gather them together, deepen them in that faith, help them walk in that faith, uh, assist them in, in, in growing in that faith, and then as we all collectively grow together, let's go find some other folks who aren't growing yet, who, are, who don't know who Jesus is yet. Let's let them know who he is so that they can be a part of us and they can uh, assume the mantle with us of, of carrying his message to the world. It's, it's the church. It's who we are. It's who we've always been for 2,000 years. It's who God's gonna ask us to be for every year that comes, starting with 2017 and beyond. And so what I wanna share with you from, from 1 Peter, just some of the ways uh, that we can kind of set the edges of this puzzle that is the church, uh, and, and Peter does that for us in the subsequent verses. How do we accomplish our mission as a church then? Uh, the first thing that I wanna remind us of, there are many, but the first thing that I wanna share with us is what Peter says. We need to think right, live right, so that we can pray hard. Look what it says in in the second part of that admonition. He says, time is coming short, the end is near. Therefore, since that's true, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of, so that you can be more active in uh, your prayers. Now, just fascinating verse. I didn't get much further than this in the first service, so we'll see how this goes. But it's it's, it's steep with meaning. Here we go, There's there's two things that he tells you to do there specifically, one is to be sober-minded, the other is to be self-controlled. Both of those Greek words that kind of form those ideas uh, stem from sobriety, all right? Now, we know that the Bible talks about, you know, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It talks about living a life in a clear-headed way. I don't know about you, but I think that's better than kind of just running around chicken-littling the whole thing and just going crazy and stressed out and all that stuff. If you're gonna be effective in life, you've gotta live with a clear mind. A renewed mind, the scripture goes on to explain in Romans. You've got to have a perspective about life that comes from your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's admonishing. He says, hey, man, uh, live with a sober mind so that you can have self-control. Thinking right leads to living right or choosing right. Uh, Listen, if if you don't hear anything else from, from me today about this coming year, hear at least this. Every one of us have times where we uh, aren't sober-minded, where we get uh, anxious, fearful, enraged. 
Uh, we jump the gun, uh, therefore, in the things that we do. We act impetuously, unwisely. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do this year. Uh, by the grace of God, and through the influence of the Holy Spirit and our submission to him, may we all take time. Count to ten. Anybody, anybody's mom ever tell them to count to ten? My mom always told me, when you're getting mad, count to ten. I don't know what the magic number is about ten. Uh, I could probably use like 70. But, uh, but she's, all her point was to slow down. Slow down and let God and his, his influence on your thinking allow you to think clearly enough so that you choose well enough so that whatever situation you find yourself in, he can be glorified and you can be blessed so that you walk in his wisdom. Peter was writing to a bunch of people. If you ever read uh, Peter's first epistle here, he, he just, the first three chapters are pretty much all about uh, his friends, these, these, these readers of his who are in persecution. The early church just suffered greatly for their faith. And they were constantly in this stress and in this adversity. And Peter's, his, his command to them over and over again was like, hey guys, step back from the fray. See clearly so that you can choose wisely and receive from God his best in your life. I got, uh, I got my wife a badminton set uh, for her birthday. Uh, and, and it was great. We, we got to go outside. It was really nice. Go to, go to Walmart. 20 bucks. It's like this standalone net. It's brilliant. Brilliant engineer. There are good things that are happening in our world, even though it's going to pot. Okay. So I got this, wall, I got this badminton set, and we decided to play it on the night of her birthday. Uh, badminton's hard in the daylight. Agreed? Anybody ever played? But if you're playing, like, by the light of your outside garage post, you know, whatever's, um, it gets a little more difficult. So we're playing right out there by the, and so uh, it's going, you know, pretty well. For the most part, uh, Eleanor and I, by far, are the best badminton players in our, in our family, just so you know. We're killer. Uh, but as, as our family gets younger, things get more difficult. We actually have a five-year-old uh, grandson who's, who's been grafted into our family. We love him. Uh, but he wanted to play, you know, at, at, at Eleanor's uh, party. And so we handed him a racket. Anybody want to guess how that went? <laughs> uh, if you've ever uh, handed a five-year-old any instrument, uh, you know, that he can swing... Uh, it was swung wildly and often and without great effect. Uh, he did not connect with the birdie uh, much at all. And so what, what did we try to do? You know, especially me, pastor, teacher, former jock. Uh, I'm like, hey, buddy, here's how you do it. I'm trying to teach him how to hold the racket and instead of swinging down on it, you know, which is not going to get the birdie back across the nets, maybe swing up on it, you know, and just keep your eye on it. I'm trying to coach him all these things, and he's, you can see it. He's getting more with every, every time we hit him, the, he's getting more and more frustrated. Finally, that was it. What do five-year-olds do when they're, when they're done? He just, he sat down. Folded his arms, sat down right in the middle of our, yeah, and, and that was it. He, and understandably, right? I've seen 45-year-olds do that, just so you know. But uh, yeah, and, and here's why. He was so certain he knew what he was doing. So certain that if we just would leave him alone, everything would work out fine. And he wasn't having it. He wasn't listening to the advice or the encouragements. Well, we gave him a break. He took some time away from the game. And after watching and calming down a little bit, uh, he came back. And guess what? He started listening to some of the things that his mom and the rest of us were trying to help him with. And he, he had some measured success. He actually hit the thing a couple times, right? You ever seen the smile on a kid's face when they finally do something they've been trying so hard to do? I mean, he was just... Elated, overjoyed with his successes, and, and, uh, and all, it, all it required was just slowing down long enough 
to learn a little bit so that you can move forward in the right things. And I wonder if on this, this the national holiday, a day of days where we start our new years and, and uh, we're, we're all, you know, we're, we're sparse today. I get it, people stayed up late. Uh, but you guys came, it's good to have you. Um, I think uh, God gathered us here today for maybe lots of reasons, but at least one of them was to be reminded that being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, to take our time and to be deliberate so that he can speak to us and influence us and influence our decisions, it's gonna lead to the best in our lives and the most glory for him. It says there that uh, we're supposed to be self-controlled and sober-minded for a specific purpose, for the sake of our prayers. It doesn't say for the sake of our sanctification or for the sake of us treating each other well. He's gonna go on in subsequent verses and talk about those things, but he says, listen, I, really, I want you to focus on being clear-headed, on being self-controlled so that your prayer life improves, so that you get better at praying. Well, this begs for some explanation, some, what is Peter thinking about here? Here's what I, I believe he's thinking about. He's, he's trying to get us to the point where we live in this life where the scriptures command us to pray without ceasing. Ever heard that one? We're supposed to pray without ceasing. That's always boggled my mind. What does that mean? I just never leave my room. I keep praying. No, it means you live in a spirit of or in an attitude of or in a constancy of prayer. You go about your life. You drive here and there. You do your jobs. You love your kids and wife and husbands. And you do, you do life, but you do it in an attitude that God gets to say so. And this is the big thing a lot of people don't understand about prayer. They don't understand that prayer is a conversation. Most of the time when you think of prayer, it's like, well, God, here's what I got. It's either our, our, you know, our comment box. Here's where you're messing up, Lord. Here's how I need you to fix some things because my life isn't exactly how I want it, so chop, chop, let's go. Or it's this, you know, this grocery list of items that I need. I need this, I need that, I need that. Which, listen, maybe don't tell him how to run his world, but should we bring our petitions and requests to God as he asks us to do that all the time? Does he want to know when we're hurt and hear our laments and and, and, and know what's going on in our hearts. He already does, but yeah, he loves to hear those, those things. He loves to hear from us. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. But just like if you were in a relationship with me and, and me with you and, and I was the only one talking, it wouldn't be much of a relationship, right? Prayer is meant to be this, this interchange, this exchange where, where we talk to God and then he actually answers us and in our spirit, he he, he leads us to things. And get this, sometimes he can talk to us without us talking to him first. He leads his Holy Spirit to, 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 to whisper things in our spirit and in our ears and in our souls and to say, hey, how about this? Anybody ever been in the midst of doing something you know you probably shouldn't and all of a sudden you sense in your spirit, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You weren't in the middle of some prayer where you asked God, hey, should God, should I be doing this? No, he just butted in. He just said, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, knock it off. Hey, you're crossing the line in this argument with your spouse. Knock it off. Or you, you, you come into a situation where he needs you to express his love to someone else. And so you see the homeless guy on the street, or you see that, that coworker who just seems to not be okay, and you sense something in you saying, go ask him what's going on. Well, that's God talking, probably. It's him leading us. And what it is to live in an attitude of prayer or in a, in a constancy of prayer is to be aware of his direction and to follow him in it. Because see, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna live life for him, we have to listen to him so that he can lead us to where he wants us to go. It says in John chapter 10, verse 10, 
or not verse 10, but in, around verse 10, he says that the, uh, Jesus says this about himself, I am the shepherd and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They hear me. They respond to me. I guide them through life. As you start this new year, can, is, is that true of you? Is that true of me? Are we allowing God to guide us in life? Not just telling him what we think or telling him how he's messing up, but beseeching him, talking to him, and then listening to him, to, to his answers so that we can know where he wants us to go. Uh, I spent this last week uh, kind of traveling around uh, the eastern part of our country. We, we drove Tuesday to Atlanta, and from Atlanta to Kentucky the next day, spent a couple days with Eleanor's family there, and I went up and saw my sister in Akron uh, the next day, and then drove to Pittsburgh yesterday, dropped my daughter off, and her car, uh, to be uh, up there for the next four or five months as she takes some classes and, and just hangs out with a friend that she met from college. Anyway, got on a plane last night at about 6.30 and flew home so I could hang out with y'all. Uh, came home, and some of the people from our church decided to light fireworks right next to my house all night. Thank you for those people. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, came here, came home so I could preach to you this morning. Got on the plane. That's where I am. Sorry, a little fuzzy. Got on the plane. And uh, actually got seats in the front so that we could get off and, and try to expedite the process as much as possible. Just grab our carry-ons. Uh, so paid the extra to sit in the front of this plane uh, on Allegiant Airlines. It's the uh, economy first class. Anyway, uh, uh, so it sat in the front of the plane, and in our three-seat section in our plane, Eleanor and I sat down, and we sat down to a girl that we'd noticed in the, in the waiting area. Uh, she, she's blind. She's seeing impaired, and her name's Tessa. We found out her name was Tessa because we met her as she sat in a row. We met her because uh, we almost stepped on her dog. Uh, she had a C&I dog named Dazzle, and uh, Dazzle was in the, in the seat uh, or in the foot area of our seat, Labrador, all right? And so Eleanor uh, had to navigate Dazzle for two hours, uh, as as uh, and those dogs are amazing. This dog never moved, flinched. It was amazing. It just the training thing to do those things. Anyway, halfway halfway into the flight, after getting to know Tessa a little bit, uh, she needed to go to the restroom, and uh, and she, she wasn't going to take Dazzle because Dazzle needed to stay there. So I became Dazzle. All right, I became her eyes, and uh, she kind of you know it, was, it wasn't far. We right in the front. It was right there. Uh, but as she stepped out of the aisle, I just kind of stood behind her, and I'm talking to uh, my new friend Tessa, and I'm just saying, okay, it's right there. And I got her to the door of the lavatory, and, and I left uh, because mission accomplished. I got to the bathroom, but I didn't explain to her that there's a knob. You know, she's trying to find the crease of the door. So I took her hand, and I just whispered, I said, I didn't whisper, I just said, Tessa, hey, listen, I'm going to take your left hand. You're just going to go down the side of this wall. Do you feel a knob? Yes. She opens the door. In she goes, and I go back and sit down thinking I'm done but she's got to come back. And so she comes out of the, out of the bathroom door there, and I, I walk up to her, and again, I, all I'm, I'm not, I mean, she's, she's lived her whole life. She, she's, she's got the lay of the land as someone who's, who's never been able to see, but, but she just needs someone to give her just little tips, little points. Okay, you're at the row now. All right, uh, okay, be careful. You're going to step on the dog. All right, uh, and, and she just kind of, you know, Eleanor and I just kind of got her back to the, the seat so that she could sit down. We, we kept talking to her on that flight. And we just asked her, you know, what I hope weren't too stupid of questions, but we just said, hey, you checked a bunch of bags. How do you know what they are? I mean, you just, you know, go up to the conveyor belt and, you know, is there some kind of fabric on your bag? No. She says, listen, here's the deal. I ask people for stuff all the time. If I got to find my bag, I say, hey, sir, because I said someone there, 
uh, my bag's blue. Could you look for my blue bag? And she, she said, people have always helped me, which kind of makes you feel better about the human, human race, but uh, that's how she gets through life. And I thought, you know, what, what an amazing picture of what it is to, what it's supposed to be like, at least, when we live our lives as Christians. Because here's the deal. Can we just all admit for a second that spiritually speaking, we're blind? We really can't see the things that God sees. It's not in us. In fact, if there's anything good or spiritual or right about us or in us, it's, it's because God and his Holy Spirit has put it there. And so we're, listen, we're going through life, and life throws us all kinds of stuff, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of rifts in relationships, all kinds of, I mean, there's all kinds of just hurts and, and harms to navigate. And we start listening to this voice that we have in our head, and our voice is, lash out, refuse forgiveness, uh, uh, try to make it on your own, uh, struggle through this the best you can. And our Savior, our Shepherd, his voice is trying to rise above the din. And he's trying to get us to know or to understand that, you know, we, we can't navigate this thing with what we have in and of ourselves. We need his voice to lead us in things. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, but when I, my eyes are closed uh, and I'm, you know, trying to function this way, uh, I have to trust the people around me to get me to where I need to go. Just like Tessa. And we as followers of Jesus Christ in this new year, I pray that that's our conviction, our hope, is that God's voice will get turned up in our minds as we seek to be sober-minded, as we seek to be self-controlled. I pray that leads us deeper into a life of prayer, a life of hearing the voice of God and following him in where he wants us to go. I'll do one more and let you go. It says uh, we need to think well, uh, we need to choose well or act well, and we need to pray hard. But the second thing and the last thing I want to share with you from this text is that we need to love well. We need to love well. It'll be up there. There it is. Look at what it says in First Peter 4. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, Peter's actually quoting Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 there, that love covering over a multitude of sins. Solomon he coined the phrase, uh, and Peter's just quoting him. It, it says it right there in Proverbs 10. Uh, but uh, it was a common understanding, especially in the Jewish culture, uh, that love is this great sap. It's this great um, melter of, of ice. Of, 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 it's the remover of barriers in relationships. And some people have taken it to mean that, you know, when, uh, when love covers over a multitude of sins, that, you know, if someone's done something bad to me, I just take love, It's my love, and I just kind of throw it over there, and it just covers over it all like it never happened, and I can just move on, it's no big deal, and off we go. I don't think that's what uh, Peter's saying or God is saying about love. It's not a dismisser uh, of, of things. It's not this um, you know, excuser of sins, but it's a forgiver of sins. It, it doesn't act like nothing ever happened, but it, it loves anyway. See, see, love is meant to be this thing that kind of wraps us up in it. Oh, it's hard to put a blanket on. And it's meant to be this thing that even where there's, there's been hurt and angst, it, it brings uh, peace and, and, 
and eventually comfort and joy and hope back to a situation that's been harmed. Wouldn't it be great if we all had the time machine I talk about sometimes and we could go back and take back all the things that we did wrong? Wouldn't that be great? But in the absence of that, you know what God gives us in its place? Love. A love that keeps no record of wrong, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. A love that chooses to forgive, not negating that something happened, but chooses to forgive anyway and wraps itself around the persons in our lives. I could preach for hours on the subject of love, but uh, I'll let you go with this. God wants us to love this year, forgiving one another, embracing one another. God wants us to think clearly this year so that we could choose well this year, so that we could hear his voice more this year. These are the outlines of our church puzzle. These are the outlines of your Christian life. This is what God wants you to build within as you function with him this coming year. As you leave today, uh, I'm gonna give you uh, the option of just taking a, a little piece of puzzle. It's just a little reminder of some of the stuff we talked about this morning. You can take that piece of puzzle and you can put it in your change area, wherever you throw your coins in your car. You can put it on your dresser, or hold it in your pocket or, or ch- a change purse or something like that, ladies. I don't, somewhere where you frequent. And here's the deal, when you see it, uh, don't throw it out. <laughs> Look at it and be reminded of the things that we're praying for as a church. We're praying that everybody in this room who has started a relationship with Jesus Christ or is on the verge of starting one, uh, everybody who's been following Jesus for years and who has kind of felt maybe like things have gotten stale, that we would be reminded this year that the time's uh, ticking, that the clock is ticking, that times are urgent. And we need to take seriously this this grace that we've been gifted uh, to us by God through Jesus Christ. And we need to honor him and follow him uh, with our lives. We need to think clearly. We need, we need to uh, act rightly. We need to pray hard and hear the voice of God. We need to love well and forgive the things that could be holding us back in relationships. We need to do all this. If, uh, if we skip down to verse 11, we need to do all this. Peter, uh, can you do that? I got time. Go down to verse 11. Keep going. There's a whole bunch of sermon there. It's really nice. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but Peter finishes this way and he says, to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. In the middle of his writings, Peter is so inspired apparently by the things that the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write that he just busts out with this impromptu doxology, an impromptu prayer of his own. And he's just so impressed with the things that God is teaching him or reminding him to remind his friends of that he just says to him be the glory and to him be the power, the dominion, the, 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 the say so forever and ever, amen. That's my hope for us in this coming year, that we'd seek to glorify God, that we'd seek to give him the power and the, and the right and the say-so in our lives. And every time we look at that piece of puzzle that you're gonna take on the way out, uh, we'd remember to pray for those things in our lives and in this church. Let me be the first one to do that. Let me pray that right now. Let's pray. Hey, God, um, we thank you so much for a, a new year. We're, we're here. It is... January 1st, 2017. Uh, all that we have is from you. We, we uh, thank you for it. We, we honor you for it. Uh, we give you the glory you deserve because of, uh, of your greatness and your blessing to us. Um, but we stand here, God, at the, at the beginning of this new year uh, with a whole calendar to fill with experiences that are going to bring joy and, 
and, and lead us into to new areas of learning. We're going to go through things this year that are going to be hard, God. Uh, but regardless of whether it's good or it's bad, as these experiences unfold, we want you to be uh, in the middle of our lives with us as we seek to become less like we were and more like Jesus. Help us to do what we've talked about this morning, to, uh, to think clearly and to choose wisely, uh, to listen to you in life, to love above all. Uh, help us to do that in our individual lives so that as we come together uh, as fellow uh, journeymen in this life with you, that you'd use us together to, to enact the vision that you have for our church. And as that unfolds in the subsequent weeks, um, reveal to us our part in that. Show us how we can honor you uh, collectively so that you get the glory you deserve. And that's my prayer most of all, God, is that you'd get the glory that you deserve. You, you alone deserve uh, honor and glory. And so uh, we want to lift you up this day and every day this year. Uh, get the glory that you deserve from us, I pray, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.